I remember one of the very first devotions that I led when I was at university in Auckland. And I was helping out in the youth group at the time. And the, the devotion that I led, I hand wrote it because we didn't have computers at that point. And, and it was called Attitude is a Choice. Attitude is a choice. And at university, I'm at the Christian crusade, you know, the Christian campus uh, group that, and I got up and I remember preaching it and I remember attitude is a choice and don't just accept your feelings. You can choose what you think and you can choose what you believe and, and you just don't have to take life as it comes. You can determine life by the attitude that you choose and, and your attitude is a choice and you can, you know, da-da-da-da-da and your attitude determines your altitude and God wants us to go for miles and so come on people let's get a good attitude and we can make a choice and we can conquer mountains and and see the kingdom of heaven come and I remember that sermon and when we were packing up to come down here I found it I found it it was on a one pager and I remember and I've kept it I still haven't thrown it out attitude is a choice it impacted me quite a lot when I wrote it And I still believe it to be true today. I still believe it to be true today. In the last few weeks, I've been to two funerals. And both of those funerals have been premature deaths. Though I haven't known the people personally, and I haven't even known the families, but I sat in those funerals and I listened to the tributes that people uh, paid those who had passed away. And they were both males and they were both in their 20s. They didn't have 50 years of accomplishments to talk about. They didn't have, they'd done this career, they'd been there, they'd they'd conquered this, they'd made that achievement. And the tributes that came out about those two young men, the thing that struck me was their attitude to life. The first one was a 20-year-old who had been battling with cancer, and it was said of him that throughout his journey, he never moaned. He never took on that I'm a victim. And when he came home from his treatment, he would go back to his workplace, and his boss who stood up and said every time he'd come, whether there was even some days he couldn't stand up because of the treatment, but he would have a laugh, and he would make a joke, and he would enjoy his mates, and he would be there. The second funeral was of a 29-year-old young man who died tragically, suddenly. And the tributes that came out about this young man and his attitude in life were amazing. He was a fun-loving, energetic, make-the-most-of-every-day kind of guy. He was one of those ones that people wanted to hang around, that people wanted to... Uh, be there. He, he, every day was to count. Every day was to make something happen and something to do. People were really important. His family got up and said, even when we went through tragedy, um, you know, we went through the, the earthquake and thing, that he would get on a plane, he would come straight home just to check out and give them all a hug and make sure it was okay. Such was his attitude towards the people around him, his attitude in life. He played in a band, and his band member wrote a tribute And in that tribute, as it was read out, it said that out of all of the band members, he was the one that would arrive to every band practice. Sorry. He would arrive to every band practice with enthusiasm 
and energy and focus. And he would be there and he'd, he'd be playing the drums and even after a 10 hour day at work, he would be the one that motivated the rest of the team. And he would be there, such was his attitude in life. Many times that first sermon has come back to me. Christine, your attitude is a choice. Your attitude is a choice. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told that... Sorry, Rebecca, can we have the house lights on? I can't. Just, just the panel. Thank you. In Philippians 2, we're told that our attitude is the same as Jesus Christ. It's the same as Jesus Christ. And that we are therefore, that, that it's, let me start again, that our attitude is to be the same as Jesus Christ. And therefore that we are to choose that the way we think and the way we, that we view life is to be the same as that what Jesus Christ had when he walked here on earth. And that passage goes on to describe that that attitude that he did have was one of humility. And I want us to look at it together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This week, I emailed a few of you and asked you the question, what is humility? And I have to say that not everyone replied. There was only a very few answers that came back. But the ones that did come back were really good. Take a look. Humility, being honest, compassion, doing what your God conscience knows is right, doing the small stuff with the right attitude, treating all others with respect, serving lots, caring enough to listen. So is humility a choice? Or is it a byproduct of being a Christian? Run with me on this. Is it a byproduct of being a Christian? Is it by reading our Bibles, by coming to church, by worshiping, by hanging out with other Christians? As we do these things more and more, do we become more and more humble? Is that what it takes for a person to become humble? Or is humility a choice that we make? In the Bible, it says back in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Zephaniah is in the Old Testament. He's one of the Old Testament minor prophets. And he's prophesying to the people of Israel. And he's, it's a prophecy of judgment because they're worshipping other idols. And he says to them, he says, seek righteousness and seek humility. In other words, that the people of Israel were to, 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 to discover, they were to seek, they were to go after humility. For them it was repenting. Go after the place where they can turn away from idol worship and worship a holy God. They were to seek it. They were to ask the question, what does it take for me, for them as a people, to do 
right to do what God is asking, to put God first? What does it mean to follow God in that situation and in that nation? They were to seek it. They were to go after it. In Colossians, in the New Testament, Paul writes that we are to clothe ourselves with humility, that it's like a garment that we put on, that we cover our life with humility, that once we've found it, that once we understand it and have a grasp on it, that we wrap ourselves in it, that it covers us, that we walk in it, that we live in it every day, that we clothe ourselves with humility. A bit further on in the New Testament, in Titus chapter 3, Paul writes that that we are to show true humility to all men. That we're to show it, we're to demonstrate it, we're to reveal it, we're to, we're to be a testament and a testimony to what true humility is all about. That we are to shine, that people are to see our humility. That it's not a humility that we hide away, but it's one that is revealed and shown and demonstrated to all men and women all in the world. And in the Gospels, Jesus talks about humility, obviously. And the Gospel writers and, and Luke says, humble yourselves. Jesus says, whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who humbles himself like a child. A child is unpretentious. A child is trusting. A child kind of holds on to their daddy's hand and walks down the path and just, you know, I'm going to be okay, completely okay, and I just walk with you wherever you go and just follow, and what you say, dad, is completely right. And Jesus says, whoever humbles themselves like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So no. Humility is not just a byproduct of hanging around Christians and being in church. It doesn't kind of just happen to us. Humility is something that we have to go after. Humility is something that we seek, that we have to learn to understand, that we have to grasp, that we push open, that we discover, that we ask the questions. What is the response here? What would God have here? Well, how do I respond here? That we we push and we discover humility, that we go after it, we seek wisdom on it. And when we find it, we clothe ourselves in it, we wrap ourselves around it, we live every day in it, and then we walk around with our our head held high, demonstrating what true humility is like to the world around us. Humility. The world don't know what it's about. What is it? She said. I don't know. Well, Philippians, in Philippians, that passage in chapter 2 tells us that Jesus chose to humble himself. He made the decision. He chose to humble himself. I want you to imagine for a moment that outside time, outside outside time, God created heaven and earth. He created um, mankind. And then Adam and Eve, and then we've got the story of sin coming in. We've we've got how sin ruined and separated man from, from God. And God, with his strong sense of justice, it was like, what can happen here? 
What's going to happen? What is going to cause him to have close relationship again with the people that he created? But he had a plan. God had a plan to save the people. God had a plan to restore oneness back with his people, salvation for the world. And Jesus chose to empty himself in order to restore that relationship. He chose to step into that place, and and his father who had the plan... When you're someone who talks with their hands, I'm really sorry. (laughs) I'm really sorry. But God made me like that. Hallelujah. I want to start again because, not the whole thing. (laughs) because you'd humbly just sit there and smile at me wouldn't you (laughs) people but the people in the world don't get it they don't understand what humility is but this passage in philippians tells us that jesus chose to be humble That God the Father, who created human being, he created the world, and then because sin came in, it is separated from him. And Jesus saw that, and he chose, he said, Father, I will empty myself sometime in in the heavens. He made that decision, and he said, I will empty myself, and I will step in, and I will be everything to these people, even though I've made myself nothing, in order to restore the relationship. Jesus chose to say yes to coming to earth and dying on a cross. It was a decision that he made, Why? What was the context of that decision? Think about it. In our humanness, we think of decisions like that and we think, was it robotic obedience? I mean, after all, his dad is God Almighty. Um, You know, what else could he say but yes to the plan of the Almighty God as Father? Was it robotic obedience? Was it a sense of obligation? He knew that every other human being that there had been was, was, had a sinful nature and could not satisfy the justice of the, in the, within the heart of the Father and in the, it could not satisfy, that could not be that sinless, spotless sacrifice. And Jesus knew that he was the only one He was the only one in that. Was it kind of a a sense of obligation? Well, okay, I mean, there's, you know, there's one person standing in the room and I'll do it. Or was it a sense of duty? Like we've got our royal family, you know, Prince Edward and and his new wife and and all of this, you know, they have a sense of duty of how they, um, what they have to do as king, how they, it's not Edward, is it? (laughs) It's William, it's William. There is an Edward. (laughs) But don't they have a sense of duty? They just can't go off and get married. You know, there's a whole, whole lot of stuff that goes with it. A duty to fulfill, not just now, but even in the future as, with the throne coming up. No, it wasn't like that with Jesus when he made a choice to step into the Father's plan. It wasn't obligation. It wasn't robotic obedience. It wasn't out of a sense of duty. Jesus knew the Father. 
Remember, it tells us that Jesus is in close relationship. They are one with the Father. He was one with the Father. His heartbeat was the same heartbeat as the Father. He knew how God Almighty felt when he looked down on his creation and he saw the destruction that sin was causing. He knew, Jesus knew, how the ache that was in the heart of God to have relationship again with humanity. He knew the, the anguish that was within the heart of God as he looked at earth and the, through the generations and the years and Satan was roaming around looking for someone to devour, looking for families to destroy, looking for nations to rise up and fight each other, looking for greed so that there'd be poverty and death. Jesus knew the ache that was in the Father's heart when he saw that. He felt it as well. People being deceived. And because the Father loved so much, and Jesus, their hearts were knitted, he said, I will go. I will put aside what is rightfully mine as being the Son of God, and I will step in to this plan that you have to bring restoration to humanity, the mission on the heart of the Father. I will step, I will let go of that, and I will become everything to these people to fulfill the mission and the plan that the Father had. He felt that as well. He loved the people. He loves us. That is why he chose to give himself for the good of other people. That is why he chose to carry out the plan, even if it meant death. Even if it meant death. And from that moment of outside of time, somewhere in the heavens, to the moment that he was conceived in Mary's womb and he became a baby and then he grew to be a man. The attitude that Jesus had was, I am not here on earth for me, but I am here for the good of those around me. He says, I have the Father's heart and I'm here to carry out the mission of the Father, even if it means suffering and death. And people for us too. Humility grows in our lives. It grows in our lives as we make a series of choices to serve, to give, to love other people with the heart of the Father, to step in to the mission selflessly. In the email that I sent out, I asked if there were any questions that you had about humility. And one of the questions was, how do I be humble in marriage? And that's not it, that one. How do I be humble in marriage? Have a little look. Be selfless. Put your spouse first. Be consistent with small acts of service. Welcome advice from your spouse on many topics and problems. Be quick to admit when you're wrong 
(laughs) Accept apologies and offer forgiveness quickly and freely. Respond graciously when you think you're right or you are right and your spouse is wrong. Be gracious and loving. Selfless. In our relationships with one another is the ultimate test, is the place where we will make our series of choices. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. When I first started having children, a good friend said to me, she was about, her kids had grown up, and she said to me, Christine, this is going to be the most selfless thing you've ever done, have kids. In relationships and with the ones close to us, that is the place where we choose to put others first, where we choose to give, where we choose to be gracious, where we choose to keep our mouth quiet, where we choose to love, where we choose to respond with grace and with mercy. Interesting. The... um, who, who was here this morning? Excellent. Excellent. Yep, Pastor Craig was here too. <laughs> Excellent. Jesus, with his disciples, was walking along that road to Caesarea Philippi, and he had his young disciples with him. And it was coming kind of near that time of his death where he was beginning to talk about his suffering and about his death. And Peter, who was with him, a close friend, had this conversation. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. You will not suffer and die. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's going on in this passage? Why is Jesus so strong? Get behind me, Satan. Peter wasn't on the same page as Jesus at that time, at that moment. He wasn't thinking the same things. He didn't fully understand the mission that Jesus was on to give himself to others. Peter was saying, I I love you, Jesus. You're You're my best mate. You're my friend. You're my companion. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to die. This isn't going to happen to you. I'm not going to let them happen to you. Can you hear his heart loving his friend? And yet Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was tempting Jesus in a way to defer the mission in order to have the relationship together. He didn't want his best friend to suffer, but in Jesus' heart and in Jesus' mind, he had made that choice that even unto death, I am on this mission, I have given myself, and I will do it. And don't tempt me to not do it. Don't come and defer me. Get behind me, Satan. I have given myself for the good of others. My life is not my own. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission and I trust my Father with the outcome. 
We can talk like Peter sometimes to ourselves. When the call of God gets difficult, what do you mean I have to love my neighbour over there? They do wheelies up the driveway and make noise all night. What do you mean I have to give another lot of you know, food? What do you mean there's another one of this? What do you mean I have to go out to another meeting to organise something? What do you mean I have to say something nice to the lady that's sitting next to me? What do you mean I have to um, open up my bank account? What do you mean, Lord? You know, and we say these things, like Peter said to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I want to be with you. It's not going to happen to you. I love you. And, and, and we say to ourselves, I don't want to do this. I just want to back off a little bit from the mission that God has called. And, and this is my life and this is the wall that I have around me. And, and we, we walk, we step back a little bit because we don't, when, when the call comes to sacrifice, our first response is sometimes like Peter's. It's not always a yes and amen. We will walk this road even if it means hard times, if it challenges our comfort. Instead of being like a child that holds on to the Father's hands, trusting him, going, Father, we're on, I'm on this mission with you. I'm going to hold on. We're going to see people come into the kingdom. We're going to yield to your purposes, Lord. And in the word of God that, you, that you're speaking to my heart, that you're speaking to my life, I'm going to go that way no matter what. One of the things that uh, you, you may have heard, you may be familiar with this, is talking about priorities in our life. And here's a list of priorities. Not a bad list either. Family first, church second, and then others. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my resources? Where do I put my relationship energy? It's not a bad list. And I understand that this list can be of practical help to us when we are actually trying to work out a time schedule. But really, bottom line, bottom line, I think it can be summed up by putting God first. Because God knows all our responsibilities. He doesn't compartmentalize. He understands our, our responsibilities to family. He understands good stewardship. He understands our involvement in church and in the mission. He understands seasons. He understands all of the stuff that is happening in our life and all of the, the things that we are called to do and we need to do. And he has a priority. He has a, a good priority as well. And and. Our priorities, if we put God first and we listen to what he's saying, we say, God, you are my number one. I will forsake all. I will give myself and I will listen to your voice and I will walk and I will do no matter what, even when it hurts. I will sacrifice for the extension of the kingdom. And by putting God first, I, you've probably had this experience as well. I've had times when God has said, spend time with your family don't go and do that. I've had times when he said, go and be with your husband. 
I've had times when he says, go to church, spend all day doing and working for whatever it is, for that mission is. I've had times when God has said, give your money. There's been times when God has said, no, don't give your money. He knows, he has all those priorities. But what I'm saying is if we have our, if our default in our thinking is family, church, others, then we prioritize the promptings of the spirit that come. And when they're calling for, to sacrifice, when they're those hard things that push against our comfort, those challenging things that cause us to trust when there's only trust left and we're trusting our heavenly father, then we go, ah, like Peter, ah, I just don't know. You know, my family is really important and they need me and they just not, can't do without me. Or I just can't give money to that at the moment because I have this and we have this plan and we're stewarding it well and we're doing this and we've got it all worked out. Does that make sense? Jesus had, had his father's heart and he listened to only one trusting and knowing that God had all of those things. And he easily chose yes. Yes. Even unto death. Even unto death. What an amazing God. What an amazing example of humility. A series of choices that we have in our life day in and day out. The communion table here is the place of ultimate sacrifice where Jesus came and he gave that example of dying on a cross, emptying himself, becoming nothing, in order to be everything for you and me. And I want to challenge you this evening as we share communion together. And I'm gonna, we're going to invite you to come up and, and take it as you'd like to come. But my challenge for you tonight is how much of the Father's heart is pumping in your heart and in your spirit? How much of a default setting do you have that, Lord, I am yours, whatever, whenever, however, I am completely yours. I choose humility. I will clothe myself in it, and then I will walk tall And I will demonstrate this kind of love, this act, this attitude of giving and of sacrifice to the world around me so that the mission will be accomplished. The kingdom of God will be extended because it will never happen without sacrifice. The team are going to play, and uh, Mandy's going to sing us a song um, in a few minutes. But just as Peter's playing, if we could have the panel, or back to the lights, we invite you to come up here and to take communion, to take the bread, a piece of bread, 
in a cup. And you may like to kneel at the cross in response. You may like to just sort of have some space by yourself. You may like to take it back to your seat. Whatever um, you would like to do, that is fine. There's a bowl of water and a towel. And that really, if Jesus, when he came, he washed the disciples' feet. As saying, I'm here to serve. I'm here, if you haven't got it already, I'm here to give completely for the good so that you understand the mission of the Father. And you might like to wash your hands. Or you might like to even just, I don't know, maybe dab some water on your mouth or on your heart. And once we've shared communion together um, and Mandy sung, we're going to have a couple of worship songs and we're going to finish our service by worshipping. And by laying ourselves down. And so I just, I just encourage you. I encourage you to let God's love consume your heart. I encourage you to give of yourself to him as he gives to you everything. Everything that he gives to you. Mm. Let's pray and then we'll have communion. Mm. Oh Lord Jesus, we can only say thank you. Thank you for choosing to humble yourself. Thank you for choosing to come to earth and to live and to die and to suffer for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed on that cross that you gave so freely and so willingly to cleanse us from our sin. And to enable us to to hear the Father, to know the Father. And to walk hand in hand with him for the rest of our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for the hope and the strength and the peace. Thank you for being so determined and focused that you made it all the way to death and beyond. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you and we love you. 
And Lord, I just pray that you'd see our hearts here tonight. Longing to give you our worship and our praise. Longing to give you place within our lives and our relationships that you rightly deserve. Mm. Mm. Amen. Mm. Just feel free to come um, and have communion. You can stay here or you can take it back to your seats.